Everyone has a story to tell. Welcome to Dingo Talk, where we explore the experiences that make us who we are. Here's your host, Carlo Guadagnino. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is Dingo Talk. My guest this week, Joe Schmelzer of Nitley Lions Now. Nitley Sports Now, yep. Nittany Sports Now, uh, Waynesburg graduate of class of 20, Pittsburgh kid, born and raised. Uh, from what I can gather, big Pirates guy, big Steelers guy, uh, big Penguin guy, and then um, obviously a Penn State guy. First and foremost, how does a guy from West Allegheny out there near the airport, for those of you in the Pittsburgh area, how does a guy from West Allegheny find his way? And I think I know the answer, but I'm I'm going to let you tell it. How does a guy find his way to Waynesburg? Uh, well, Carlo, first off, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, so I found my way to Waynesburg. Uh, it's probably similar to a lot of other guys you talk to. I know you've talked to some Waynesburg guys. Uh, Lanny for Terry's uh, sports announcing camp is probably the single biggest recruiting tool um, that the Department of Communication has uh, for Waynesburg. Um, I went there. Um, I think how it started was I worked with West Allegheny's baseball team. I did film. I did stats. Now, one of our games, Laney was announcing, um, it was a playoff game, and he said something to me about going to the camp, and I thought, okay, and then eventually I end up registering for the camp. I go, and I didn't really like the campus too much at first. Um, I thought uh, I was there in the summer, which probably didn't help because there was no students, but I thought, okay, this is small. This is kind of boring not a lot to do and then I don't really know why uh my mind changed um on the whole thing uh but one day it just clicked like uh hey uh, Waynesburg's where I want to be I want to give it a shot and then ended up being um between Waynesburg and St. Bonaventure uh St. Bonaventure also a very good department of communication uh but um it wasn't too hard of a decision um in the end uh, I ended up Going to Waynesburg, I knew people that were already at Waynesburg, um, so that helped too. And then obviously I met a lot of people there. Um, so uh, yeah, but really the number one reason it happened was because of Laney in that camp. So, well, and that that you know it's a running theme with with the uh, Yellow Jackets from that department of communications at Waynesburg. Uh, there's the there's the camp, and then they they end up following up with going to the school. Um, was your love always going to be as a writer or did you originally want to be a like on camera personality? Did you want to get behind the camera, be a director, be an editor? Where was your first love and, and why did you end up into, into the sports writing side of things? Yeah. So my first love uh, was probably sports announcing. Uh, and this is probably going back to when I was in early middle school. Uh, I was 12, 13, 14. I really wanted to be a broadcaster. But then uh, when I got later in the high school, um, I started um, a sports blog. I got really into that. Um, I took a creative writing class my junior year of high school. Um, mm -hmm. And that was when I discovered that I had a bit of a talent for it. And then obviously I've loved sports for a long time. So writing kind of blended something I did um, fairly well uh, with uh, something I enjoyed doing. So like, um, I guess a talent and a hobby, if that makes sense. Uh, so by the time I got to Waynesburg, I knew I was going to be um, on the writing side. And I, I was still as involved in broadcasting as I could have been. I announced um, our sporting events, uh, mainly football, basketball, mm -hmm. some baseball games. Uh, 
but I was uh, heavily involved in our student newspaper and really from day one, I was more of an emphasis uh, towards uh, towards the writing side of it in print. So Now, it's, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of people, especially 2016, 20, even go back 2010, 2011, 2012, people coming into school, everybody either wanted to be in front of a camera or behind a camera. Um, and I feel like the, the writing side of sports, the true sports fan the, and the good writers and some bad writers – have all found their own way of keeping print alive, basically. Cause I mean, there's a lot of people that do this, that, that do a, a blog as opposed to doing a podcast because they feel that they can e express themselves a little bit more through their writing. Is that something that you take into a account as a writer? Do you, are you going out of there with, with this is how I talk, this is how I feel. And I hope that message comes across or do you not care if the message comes across because you're confident in your writing? Um, I'm pretty confident in my writing, but I feel that writing is probably the best way that I use to um, express myself. Um, I don't really know what it is. Maybe it's because you have more time to think about what you want to say when you write and think, okay, uh, how does this make sense? Mm -hmm. Um, am I, am I conveying what I want to convey? Cause when you're talking, uh, you have, especially during play-by-play, -play, if you don't say something clear and uh, that's Laney's two biggest words, clear and concise, if you don't get that right right away, then it's too late. You just have to move on. But writing, if you write something wrong the first time, um, and obviously there's exceptions with deadlines, but most in most cases, if you get something wrong the first time, you can look back at it, change it, and then better convey it. So I think that helps uh, – but mainly, um, I would say that I'm I'm just uh, pretty confident in my skills, and I think I'm able to express myself probably uh, more or less the same way, both in talking and when I write. Uh, so, well, and and you know, Waynesburg's communications department. We've talked about. We've had many guests on from from your department, uh, classmates and people before you. Uh, I I know you guys do see at Bethany, we do what's uh, it's, you know, you have your senior project and then the big thing for us is comprehensive exams. Uh, but for you guys, it's more of the senior project is the, the big ticket, correct? What was your uh, senior project? So you're, you're talking about a uh, practicum. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I, that's, I think that's where the disconnect yeah. is, is that I think of it as the, the okay. final project. Yeah, so I don't really have uh, a big uh, story with that. So what happened was, um, I my senior year. So our for multiple reasons, our paper, the Yellow Jacket, went through a big shift mm -hmm. uh, between my junior and senior year. We, uh, for my first three years, we were a weekly publication and we were thirty-two pages. Yeah. My senior year, we switched to biweekly print and cut the paper in half to sixteen pages. So. That meant that online for the whole paper was going to become much more of an emphasis. And mm -hmm. Professor Richard Krauss, who taught our practicum class, uh, felt that my role with the paper, I was a sports web editor. He thought that that was so different and so drastic and enough to handle that he let me use that kind of as my big project. So I, I, I don't know if I wish I would have done something else or not looking back on it, but it was a big challenge and I felt I got a lot of, a lot out of it. So. One, well, and we, I, I'm glad that we, we led into your senior year because I understand you like so many people that graduated out of the high school graduating class of 2016 
four years later, they're here we go. We're getting ready to graduate, go out into the real world and nope, go home. So <laughs> let's talk about how did COVID affect your situation with ending school and potential jobs or was the job already lined up after school? Yeah, well, obviously, like everybody else, uh, COVID was awful for me. Uh, probably, I wasn't even thinking too much about jobs at the time. Um, maybe I should have been more, I don't know. But I was more upset about, like, like not seeing my friends, I guess, mm -hmm. the whole social aspect. And also the fear of, like, when's everything going to be right again in the world. So it was more that. Uh, I was really... My job uh, was kind of dependent on whenever sports came back. Uh, so through how it went was uh through march when we got sent home to the end of what would have been the traditional school year uh mm -hmm. us in the sports department uh we just kind of made everything centered around covid it's like how's this team affected by it how's that team uh and that's how we kind of went throughout the rest of uh my year um i probably should have been better at being an editor in that time but i was in such a rough mental state as a lot of people were that i I don't know if I could have done my job to the best of my ability, but, you know, but luckily I was already, I was already kind of in with the Observer Reporter, which I still write for Um, I was a stringer for them, which if you mm -hmm. don't know, a stringer is someone paid on a uh, per piece basis. Uh, so it's like you cover this game, get however much for it. Um, So I was already in with them when sports came back which I think the first sporting event I did um, during COVID was a high school football game at Trinity. Uh, I kind of got into a routine uh, with covering uh, sporting events uh, with the OR. And I just kind of, I kind of grinded my way through, um, through about uh, almost two years. Um, I worked with the OR. I worked at Target, which I still do as well to make some money. Um, and then in October, late October, maybe early November of 2021, I, uh, COVID was a lot uh, smoothed over uh, by then. Uh, fans were coming back. Uh, writers mm -hmm. were coming back to sporting events. And I got uh, hired to cover uh, Penn State football. So, Well, so there was a lot to unpack there. One thing that I, I really noticed that you, you said, and if you're not comfortable talking about it, please you know, tell me to go pound salt. Um, the mental health side of COVID, which I, I know we're now starting to talk about it. And we're starting to talk about those effects. You pointed out clearly that that you were in such just from basically being told you're in a room now. This is your this is where you go. You're not allowed to leave. You're not allowed to do anything. The mental stress and the mental strain, I guess, would be more than stress that weighed on you affected not only what you said was a hobby originally that you also turned into a job. Um it, how did you work your way through that? Did you go talk to someone? What What was your, how did you get yourself out of that? Um, yeah, and that's a good question. Uh, I think once uh, we went into that uh, yellow phase in Pennsylvania, uh, then it started to get better because then at least you were seeing something, right? I went, yeah. um, I had a weekend at uh, my friend's house, uh, got to see some people. So that was fun just to feel normal. And then, as things uh, kind of progressed through the summer, because the summer of 2020 was actually pretty good for me from a mental standpoint. Uh, so um, I think by June, I was probably okay. And then mm -hmm. obviously the late fall and winter of 2020 was pretty bad. But by that point, we had already kind of 
knew what to expect with that. So I was okay then too. So I think it was just a matter of uh, being able to see people again and being able to have some semblance of a normal life. Because March and April of 2020, uh, which was when my senior year was wrapping up, we had none of that. Uh, So um, I guess time kind of heals all wounds and also just getting used to dealing with the pandemic life. um, It kind of got easier as it went along as well. So So we're going to turn this a little bit make it a little more, bring it upbeat now from that. Um, how would, if I was sitting down interviewing your parents right now, how would they describe you? Uh, oof. Uh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> my dad would probably describe me as disorganized. Um, and my mom would probably describe me as, uh, I guess, uh, I don't know, compassionate and uh hardworking and all of that but and my dad would describe me that way too um but um my dad would probably have more of the uh like i guess snarky response um but um yeah just kind of like the typical things a parent would say about their son i guess uh they would just kind of point out uh what they think i do well um how i treat people and um my work ethic probably and then on the since we asked about your parents and I don't want to put any pressure on you, but I'm guessing they're going to watch. So maybe think about this next answer. <laughs> the three most influential people in your life and why. Oh boy. Uh, that is hard. Um, <laughs> I got you a little bit there. See, yeah, I'm trying did. these curveballs now. It's a new thing. I'm trying to see the real answers come. <laughs> um. So did it have to be in a specific order? No. So I'll go probably uh my parents would definitely be two of them. Um and then the third one, uh honestly, probably my grandfather, who's sadly no longer with us. Uh, but he was the guy I think a lot of my love of sports and sports history kind of came from my grandpa. Um, it's funny because my mom always tells me uh, back when I was probably two, three, four, for whatever reason, I just didn't like my grandpa and I would yell at him every time he tried to talk. Um, I don't know why, but eventually um, I discovered that he really liked sports history. So because I had a love of sports history going back to my toddler years. So once I found out my grandpa liked that, too, we kind of bonded over that. And he was obviously able to be around um, in in some cases present for the events that for me were just covered in books and on highlight reels. Uh, so uh, def- definitely keeping it in the family. I'd probably say my parents and then my grandpa were the top three. Well, and, and let's jump right back into the sports side of things. So we're, we're now at Penn state where you're that you've been there for two years, a year, um, a year and a few weeks. Okay. So, so I just wrapped up my first full regular season with them. First question, because Penn State fans will crucify me if I don't ask. How do we feel now a year into James Franklin's big extension and and the money that came behind that? Comfortable? Are we, we that's still the guy we're riding with him? Oh, absolutely. I think this year, um, this year for Penn State was probably more about picking up the pieces than anything else. Because the last two years were a mess. The COVID mm-hmm. season was horrible both on and off the field for Penn State. First losing season they had since uh, 2003. First 0-5 start ever 
happened in that year. Uh, and then 2021 started out great, 5-0, and ranked in the top five, and then Penn State lost six of its last eight games. So this season, um, obviously, the big criticism of James Franklin is that he can't beat Michigan, can't beat Ohio State, in some cases can't beat Michigan State. And yeah, this year Penn State lost to Michigan and Ohio State, but realistically, the biggest thing for this year was for Penn State to get back to being um, a quality, powerful football program again. And I think by going 10-2, and two, Penn State did that. And year one of 10 of Franklin's uh, extension was a, was a success, excuse me. And then going into uh, next year, Penn State had a great recruiting class. Those guys were freshmen this year. Next year, they'll be sophomores and even more experienced. But uh, yeah, I think definitely two thumbs up for Penn State football this season. And James Franklin's still going to have his critics. But the guy's done a pretty good job at Penn State. I think in the grand scheme of things, four 10-win seasons in uh, seven years is pretty good. Well, and, and this year specifically, it seemed that the defense would would click on all cylinders and the offense, almost similar to what we see a little bit as black and gold fans. The, the defense is there at the beginning of the game. They're hyped. They're doing a bunch of things. And the offense just isn't there. What started to put things that you're there every week? What's when did it really start to look like this team was going to keep putting the pieces together? Oh, I think probably uh, the Minnesota game, which was the week after uh, Penn State lost, got embarrassed by Michigan 41 17 in Ann Arbor, and the game wasn't even as close as that scoreline mm -hmm. would indicate. But against Minnesota, it just felt like a different team, um, especially defensively, because Minnesota has a, a pretty good running back in Muhammad Ibrahim and Penn State struggled mightily against Michigan's rushing attack the week before, but Penn State uh, contained Ibrahim pretty well. Ibrahim got over a hundred yards in that game, but that was only because he had a lot of carries. I think he mm -hmm. only averaged a little over three yards a carry, but just um, the defense just looked so different and so much better against Minnesota. And then, for the first three quarters against Ohio State, um, it looked pretty good too. And against, then fast forward the next week, it broke uh, the school tackle for loss record against Indiana. Mm -hmm. Um, looked shut out Maryland the week after that, dominated Rutgers, and then looked pretty good against Michigan State this past week as well. So, I think I don't really know what it was specifically. Uh, but after that Michigan game, the team really started to play great football. And aside from a loss to Ohio State, which Penn State actually played pretty well against Ohio State. Um, mm -hmm. Other than that, they went undefeated and blew out everybody they played. Now, as a as a Penn State guy, the alignment of the conference has to be talked about. I, I mean, you have three dominant teams on one side that are – and I think the argument has been made, you know, Michigan and Ohio State are here. Penn State's that next. They're they're not quite at, at that right now but they're still above the bottom of the of the big oh, 10 yeah. and then you go over to that other side and i think it's what iowa and wisconsin is that the two that really come out of there a lot of the yeah, most for, of the time purdue actually won the conference this year uh but predominantly it's uh wisconsin and then i think iowa's won it won the west twice since it's been the big 10 or since the divisions have been aligned so and then what's the change with, with UCLA and USC coming in? Do each does one go to each? How do how do they break that up? And where do what do you see for USC and UCLA? Um, because it's not gonna be uh, six games will be played in the sunny parts of South Car South Southern California. But uh 
going to Michigan, going to Ohio State, going to Pennsylvania <laughs> in the middle of November is probably not something they want to be uh, doing. So how do you see that breaking down next year? Yeah, I'm not sure uh, where, if they've, I, they haven't decided the uh, division alignments uh, post-2023 yet, which is when USC and UCLA will be coming in. Um, I still don't really know how I feel about it, um, Carlo, to tell you the truth. Uh, USC, I think for football, they're a power in football. They are already, Lincoln Res, Riley resurrected that program in one year, and things are only going to get better for USC. Um, but UCLA UCLA has a good football program, but nobody shows up. So the Big Ten's probably going to be looking at half-empty stadiums because I don't think UCLA and Illinois is going to inspire any more people to go to those games. I don't imagine um, so. No. So um, I think uh, this was made for football, and football is the biggest reason. So just talking about from a football standpoint – I love the possibility of USC playing Penn State and Beaver Stadium in a whiteout game. USC and Michigan would be a great draw as well, Ohio State. That's a big advantage, but honestly, for football, uh, the more I think about it, I don't really know what UCLA will add to the conference. No, but UCLA so, does add a dynamic side on the basketball side of things. Oh, for sure. And, yeah, there's definitely um, Penn State basketball, I think, is on the way up. Uh, so those will create some interesting matchups. Uh, it'd be great to watch Micah Shrewsbury's team play in Pauley Pavilion, for one. Um, but UCLA is a great athletic program. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't think they add too much from a football standpoint. But talking about all sports, UCLA baseball is obviously a traditional power, as is USC. UCLA softball is very good. Soccer, um, I think, is pretty good. So both of these programs are really well-rounded athletically. Um, and the main reason that they're coming in is for money. We all know that. But yeah. I think that there's a lot that these teams can add aside from football. And then from a football standpoint, like I said, just having USC come to Beaver Stadium for a whiteout game would be awesome. So I think I think there's benefits all around, some downsides too. Um, but if nothing else, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Well, and before I jump into the basketball conversation, because I just want to get a quick preview from you, what we should expect from this year. But do we what is what will or what are you expecting the bowl game to be for Penn State? I don't know. If, have they announced that yet? I don't think no, they, they announced it. Uh, this is being recorded Wednesday. They'll announce it Sunday. Um, it's looking increasingly likely uh, that Penn State's going to be playing in the Rose Bowl. Um, the Athletic published an article. Um, today and that's what I was actually working on uh, before I came on uh, an article about how sources told the athletic that if Ohio State stays in its current college football playoff ranking which is number five then the Rose Bowl might take Penn State because of mainly because Ohio State has been there more often than Penn State um, and they want to diversify it Ohio State's been there twice in the past four years Penn State hasn't gone since 2016 mm -hmm. um and then also, Ohio State didn't really sell well uh, for last year's uh, Rose Bowl game. Out of the 20,000 allotted tickets the Athletic reported, only 13,000 were sold. So that's something to keep in mind. And then there's also a word going around that Ohio State would actually prefer not to play in the Rose Bowl. Um, they prefer to play in the Orange Bowl against Clemson. Uh, so I think uh, the momentum, if you asked me yesterday, I probably would have said the Cotton Bowl would be likely for Penn State. But Momentum is increasingly picking up that uh, Penn State might be smelling roses. And, and you know, 
it's interesting you bring up that that 2016 Rose Bowl game because I don't think anybody can forget, you know, Saquon was was in that Juju was in that Juju really had yeah. his that was kind of a come out game on national television at a, at home for them. Mm-hmm. Um and to think now who would they end up who would they end up playing if they went to the Rose Bowl? It depends on uh, how the Pac-12 uh, shakes out, but assuming USC wins and go, wins the Pac-12 title game Friday, goes to the playoff, uh, then mm-hmm. Washington, it looks like, would be the most likely opponent for Penn State. Now, and as I'm wrapping up this football thoughts in my head, uh, that, that Pac-12 conference that obviously it looks to be being poached, the schools look to be looking for another – are, should we expect more colleges from the Pac-12 to try to get, jump into the Big Ten or the ACC or the SEC? And if are there any schools that you know of that that conversation has really ramped up? Yeah, there was some talk about, um, I think it was Washington and Oregon coming over to the Big Ten, but that kind of stalled out. Um, right now, um, I don't know if there's going to be anything big that happens with a Pac-12 school, at least not for the next few years. Uh, Mm -hmm. But as far as conferences and college football go, um, anything can happen any day. So it's kind of hard to predict. Like UCLA and USC, that happened out of nowhere. There was no buildup to that. It was like, okay, it was reported that they might be going to the Big Ten. Then a few hours later, they're going to the Big Ten. Like no suspense at all. So it just – Think anything can happen, and I wouldn't be surprised if something wild happened uh, with the Pac-12. Uh, I don't know what school would be, but there might be some movement. And then preview uh, Big Ten basketball for Penn State. How uh, you said that program is on the rise. We've seen that in the last couple of years. They've made they had a tournament run. Uh, then last year, I think they were uh, NIT bound. And then... uh, they they did not they did not make a postseason tournament uh, last year. Oh, okay. But so what are we expecting from this team this year? Yeah, so Penn State is uh six and two um right now, uh, losses to Virginia Tech and Clemson. Two close games, they could be undefeated. Penn State lost to Vaughn Tech by two, lost to Clemson in overtime and double OT. But yeah, Micah Shrewsbury, I think, is a very good coach. Did a great job last year getting 14 wins out of a roster he kind of practically threw together overnight with the team transferring, but uh, they got a good thing going. Um, Andrew Funk's a good player. Jalen Pickett's one of the best players in the Big Ten. Uh, and I think the key is going to be, Carlo, to close out games. Penn State hasn't done that well yet this year. Um, eventually, these close games uh, against good teams, they're going to have to start winning. So I think that's going to be a big key um, in uh, whatever success Penn State's to have uh, this season. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I have to put you on the spot. Is there, or do you want to make a prediction now that this is a tournament team? Uh, I'm going to say yes. I think they sneak in. All right. So there'll be a bubble team come come March, and you think they're going to be a, a, a getting on a sneaky sneak? Yeah. Um, I don't think they're going to win the Big Ten. I don't think they'll win the Big Ten tournament. But there's, I think they're one of those teams that could sneak in. Um, maybe as like a 6 to 11, 10 seed. I don't know, but it could change. My gut's telling me they're going to make it for the first time since uh, 2011. And so moving down the line, I know you're a sports history guy, and that's this question came to me 
uh, as we were, as you were covering why your grandfather was influential to you. Um, if you could have a beer with any three athletes from any time period, any team, any town, wherever you'd like, who would they be and why? All right. So the obvious one right off the bat is Babe Ruth. Uh, just because he's Babe Ruth, he was insane. He was superhuman, uh, both on the field and in the way he lived his life. Uh, mm -hmm. Second one, um, what do you? I know he's not an athlete. Would you count Harry Carey there? I would put Lanny in mine. So, yeah. So Harry Carey, uh, basically, because he was a broadcasting version of Babe Ruth, um, at least um, in the social scene. And then the third one, um. I would probably – I'd like to hang out with Ollie. I don't know how much fun. Ollie – but just the stories that guy would tell, like the humor of all that, that would just be delightful. So Babe Ruth, Harry Carey, and uh, Muhammad Ali, probably the free for me. And then, Joe, what's a, what's your biggest pet peeve? Like when you're, when you're doing – especially when, when it comes to writing, what's your biggest pet peeve? Biggest pet peeve is uh, probably when people refer to Penn State as uh, there instead of its. Uh, that's just a very small thing. Um, and then pet peeves are supposed to be small. It's just something I see happen so often in pretty much every article I edit. Uh, it's just, uh, it drives me crazy. Um, it, what are your three favorite movies of all time? And then we're going to go to what's the three sports movies of all time, unless they're all three sports movies. Then I, I don't have to ask that second question. So I only use one sports movie uh, for, uh, for favorite general movies. I'll go Rocky, Rocky, the original one. Um, mm -hmm. Goodfellas. Solid. And then the third one would probably be. Uh, Shawshank Redemption. Oh, solid three solid movies. Three solid movies. Now the sports movies, and I will. I'm going to give credit where credit is due. It comes from Donnie Football. I was on Twitter today, uh, and I actually saw he posted it last night, um, talking about that that Sentinels team from uh, the replacements, Shane Falco. Who I'm still a little yep. upset with. He cost me a lot of money in that Orange game or in that Orange Bowl <laughs> game. So we're not going to we'll go too far into it. But three, he got me thinking. I'm talking to a sports guy. Three favorite sports movies of all time. Uh, am I allowed to use Rocky again? Yeah. Yeah, so I'll, I'll go Rocky, um, Raging Bull. I love boxing movies. Uh, just um, there's something about them that, like, sports movies don't win Oscars. Boxing movies are up for Oscars, and sometimes Rocky won Best Picture. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if there's a set answer for that, but that just got... Uh, that just kind of seems how it is. And then I'll have to throw a baseball movie in there. Uh, probably The Natural would be my third one. Like, I'm glad to hear The Natural because you know a lot. I feel like Field of Dreams gets overused. Um, you know the one that we don't really – a lot of people don't talk about that I think is a phenomenal movie? Eight Men Out. Yeah, the story I, love, of the I love Blast, the, the story of the Black Sox, it, and it's just the way they portray it, it's, it's, it's a phenomenally put-together movie. 
Yeah, that's a good cast too. Charlie Sheen, a young Charlie Sheen. Young Sheen. Um, John John Cusack's in it. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing some, but yeah, it's I love Amen Out. Um, and then more back to just what you do every day. What is an important lesson that you've learned thus far in your career? Probably not to harp on uh just uh small mistakes. Um mm-hmm. and that's uh and that's a big one for me because about a year after I left college, I was like looking for all my old articles and I was kind of like freaking out and getting down on myself because I would see like a typo here, uh a misquotation there, um just little things like that, and it would just drive me crazy. And I was thinking like man, why wasn't I a better writer in college? Why aren't I a better writer now? Um, but um, I think if you harp on small mistakes too much, um, that'll kill you. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm still, I still struggle with that. Um, I'm not great with it, but I think I've gotten better with kind of just uh, when things go wrong, I understand why they went wrong. Um, I write some notes to myself, uh, kind of explaining what happened uh, and then move on and then try my best to make sure it doesn't happen again. But you can't can't change the past. Um, all you can do is uh focus on the future. And if you think too much about the past, then that'll the things you can't control can end up hindering the things you can't control. I, I like that. Answer. I like that answer. Um, if you were giving advice to an eighteen year old your eighteen year old self, what would it be? Um, probably just uh. Going back to my college years, uh, probably just enjoy it because I feel like I had fun in college, but I was also stressed all the time. Uh, but mm-hmm. now, the further I get removed from it, um, I kind of uh, appreciate more like what it was and what I had. Um, but it's really hard to like, as Andy Bernard said in the last episode of The Office, like I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you leave them. Uh, and that's uh. And that's something um, it's really hard to do in the moment. And I'm sure there's going to be a time uh, 10 years from now when um, I kind of think about uh, what what I was when I was 24 and what I could have done different. Uh, But if I were to tell my younger self uh, just going into my college years, I'd probably just say, hey, it's going to be a blast and never lose sight of how much fun you're having, even though the work can get overwhelming. And then last question before the question we discussed. why Waynesburg? If you're talking to an 18 year old college college student right now, or somebody going into college, looking to go into college, they want to go into communications. Why Waynesburg? Yeah, so um, I'm actually going to steal something uh, from uh, a graduate, and I don't know who the graduate was because my parents heard her speak and I didn't. But the story she gave was uh, she came to Waynesburg. She wanted to be a broadcaster. Thought she wanted to be a broadcaster. Then they put her on the air the first week because that's what happens at Waynesburg. It's a small school, so freshmen get their chances. And she discovered that she didn't want to be on the air, uh, but she was able to make that discovery quick enough to where she could switch her point of emphasis in the department to Mm -hmm. more behind the scenes and kind of thrive in that department. Uh, So whereas if you go to a place like West Virginia, maybe you don't get on the air for three years. And by the time, you realize that you don't want to be on the air. You're already a junior and you only have so many, so much time left. And I think that story is really better than anything I could say originally, because 
Um, you're going to be valued right away. You're going to get chances right away at a school like Waynesburg. Um, and if you like, if you know that you want to get into broadcasting or writing or whatever it is, if you know that's what you want to do, um, and you still know that's what you want to do um, early on, then you'll get your shots early and get chances to improve uh, earlier than you would at a bigger school. And if you discover you don't like it, you can change gears and still be able to pick something else up early on into your college career. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so that's what I say. You're going to have your chances right away. And uh, whether you like what you're doing or you don't like what you're doing, if you like it, you can continue with it and have more chances to get better uh, while you're still a freshman and sophomore. If you don't like it, you can switch to something else early. Well, and I, I think you reiterated a lot of the, uh, I guess what we've, as, and you know, we've had so many of the, the department people on the show um, a lot graduated with you, like, uh, as we've mentioned. Um, and I think that's the general message is that you're going to, you're one, you're going to get put in the fire, but you're going to be put in the fire to learn if that's where you want to be, or if that, or if you want to be behind a camera or, you know, having the headset on and, and being a TD or, or whatever that might be. Um, last question for you. Was there a question that you were expecting me to ask you or wanted me to ask you? And if so, how would you have answered that question? Yeah. So I was wondering if you were going to ask, uh, what the biggest mistake I've made in journalism is. Um, and I do have an answer for that. Um, it's so 20, the spring of my junior year, um, I did an article on, I think it was something, it was a political story. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know what the exact thing was, uh, but I talked to a professor we have, a pretty renowned professor, uh, and I talked to another professor. Um, and I, being that it's such a touchy subject, um, I wasn't comfortable asking either one what their political affiliation was. So I decided to ask people who knew the two and find out secondhand. That was a mistake. Um, okay. a few, the article runs a few days. I think the day after our paper hits the stands Thursday, um, a professor who I said, who I wrote in the article um, was affiliated with this party, emailed our editor and, uh, basically said, um, I never told him this. It wasn't an angry email. Um, in fact, he never even he never even denied that that was his affiliation. He just basically he didn't want me to put that out there when he didn't feel it was necessary for the story. And um, I sent him an apology email. He wrote back. He actually ran into me in the bookstore the next day. Um, he was a lot more gracious about it than other people would have been. Um, so mm-hmm. I I got off easy. Uh, but that was just um. That was just a lesson I learned that uh, if you have a question that's important and that you're going to use, uh, you should ask the person and confirm with them because, uh, uh, you know, unideal circumstances can happen if you don't. So, and one thing um, I have to ask, uh, what does it mean to be a chucklehead? Like, how, how did that how did that come about? All right. So uh, at Bethany, we had a bar and it's it was called Bubba's. Well, for a lot of people, they had Bubba. Bubba was a very large man. He's a very loud man. And he could put back gin like nobody else. Well, the guy that ran the bar when I was there was Chuck. Um, Chuck passed away in 2017, I believe. I think he passed away in 2017. Um, When I started as a writer, when I started in calm, this guy didn't miss a beat. Like if I made, if I made a comment the wrong way, 
I'd go into the bar after after a radio broadcast that was only broadcasted in Bethany. And he would go, so you said the Pirates have, uh, it's been 21 years. It hasn't been 21 years. It's been 20. If they would have lost this year, it would have been 21. Uh, maybe you should correct yourself. before. But he did it in such a way. And then, it, you know, there'd be a drink in front of me and he'd go, now let's talk about this week for Bethany sports. Um, <laughs> so my way of kind of honoring him and I've said it all. I mean, I was on the air back in Bethany in 2014 and I used to sign off that way as we'll, we'll catch you next week, chuckleheads. Um, and it just kind of became my thing. It's, uh, it's, it's a way to honor him. I think that all of us, the other side of that is I think all of us need to laugh at ourselves. So I feel when I call you a chucklehead or I call everybody that watches this a chucklehead and you hear it, it makes you kind of go, Oh, that's, that's a little goofy. Why would you say that? So, uh, thank you for asking that. <laughs> I appreciate yeah, that. No problem. I was wondering that. So, <laughs> um, you see, I normally get the what is dingo talk, and then I have to do the whole explanation <laughs> of my last name and that I talk a lot. And so, well, I, I could kind of figure that out just based on your last name. I kind of put that together. But... Yeah, you just move a couple letters and we're there. Yeah. Um, well, I want to say thank you very much for taking taking time. Sorry, this thing keeps moving on me, and I'm trying to keep it steady. Um, thank you very much, Joe, for taking time to sit down and talk with us here on Dingo Talk. For those of you at home, you might notice I have a new shelf behind me. Every once in a while, there's going to be new stuff on the shelf. My girlfriend put a Santa Claus there. Um, so we're festive for this month of December. Um, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast. We're there. iHeartRadio. Um, then on social media, it's Twitter, Facebook, TikTok and Instagram. The only one that's different is Dingo Talk on Instagram. It's Dingo underscore talk. If you type Dingo Talk in, you're going to find a bunch of wild dogs and a very nice Australian man. He loves the wild dingoes. That's not me. You won't find Joe there. Donnie won't. Be. Nobody, nobody that was on Dingo Talk will be on that specific channel. That's specifically just dogs. Um, great guy though. Uh, Joe, thank you. I look forward to watching Penn State basketball this year. I'm hoping to hear about this Rose Bowl in the by the time this airs. We'll probably know. Um, we're here every Thursday at 10 a.m., Chuckleheads, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for checking out this episode of Dingo Talk. Don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe. For more info and to contact the show, you can find us on Twitter at Dingo Talk.